Amen. Bless the Lord. Good to see you all this morning. Um, I have a wee card to read as well. Um, that from a from just from last week, it didn't get to me to later in the week. But um, to Stephen and all the family in East Point, um, from Linda, Thomas, Hazel, and Colin, we'd like to thank you for all your help and your support over the last couple of weeks. Your prayers have been um, such a blessing. God bless. Mom is now with her Lord. Amen. Um, so that's a wee card of thanksgiving there from um, Hazel and from Linda. Um, we're going to read this morning from Acts chapter 6. Um, really, our study this morning is taken as from Acts chapter 6, the whole way through um, Acts chapter 7, and just to touching on a wee bit of Acts chapter 8. So we have a, quite a wide area to cover today, um, but um, you'll be glad to know we're not reading at all, okay? So um, start with me. We're going to read um, some verses from Acts chapter 6. I'm carrying on from where Jordan was last week. Um, if you have your Bibles, our Acts chapter 6. And it's about Stephen. Now, Stephen, verse 8. A man full of God's grace and power performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose. However, the members of the synagogue of the freed men, as it was called, the Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and, and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom of the Spirit gave the spirit gave him as he spoke <clears throat> then they secretly persuaded some men to say we have heard stephen speak blasphemous words against moses and against god so they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law they seized stephen and brought him before the sanhedrin they produced false witnesses who testified this fellow never stopped speaking against the holy place and against the law for we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And then go over then, friends, to um, chapter 7. The first part of chapter 7 is basically Stephen going through the history of what was going on um, from the beginning to there, and their, the, how the prophets would come, and, and how they were tortured because they came with a message. And we pick it up in verse 51, and it says this, You stiff-necked people, your hearts and your ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors who always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet whose ancestors you did not persecute? They even killed those who protected the coming of the righteous one, and now you've betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law have been given, um, th or were given through the angels, and you have not obeyed him. Verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, Luke, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragging him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. 
Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we thank you for your word and we thank you that your word brings direction and it brings life. And Lord, as we have started on this journey in Acts to see that the book of Acts was written and that we are a part of that sequel, as Dr. Luke said in the very beginning, he was just starting to write the things that Jesus had did. And Lord, as we've been reminded round the table this morning, we are the answers to all of that work, to all of that prayer, and yet we're still to do more for you. Lord, I pray this morning as we look at your word that you would give us that heart to carry on the work of God and the importance of what you want us to do. Lord, give us, Lord, an inspired vision to be obedient to the simple call of the Great Commission. And Lord, I pray today, Lord, as we leave this house, we'll leave it in a way that we will know, but we will know that in our hearts that we can do this for you, that we can share the gospel and we can take it out there. Lord, I just pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would be the communicator and the helper in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Church, from chapter 1 right up to halfway through chapter 6, we see within the experience of the early church such amazing growth. This church is seeing so much blessing. They're seeing miracles. They're seeing healing. They're seeing people getting saved and being added to the church of God and moving on with the things of God. There's growth within them spiritually. There's growth numerically within this church. This church is going somewhere. But then we see when we get, and there's a wee slide there for us, when you see that in Acts chapter 4, that the church starts to come against opposition. It starts to come against persecution. And then there has to be a discipline matter when there's those within the congregation who were acting up and they were starting to lie against the Holy Spirit, thinking they were getting away with some stuff, and yet they were not doing what God had called them to do. And then Jordan brought us to chapter 6 last week and he told us about the fight at the food bank. There was this disruption, there was problems within this church family. But no matter what, still under the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit, no matter what seemed to be going wrong, God was using it for their good, like what we sang there this morning. No matter what was happening against the church, this church was still experiencing wonderful blessing from the hand and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Instead of the problems being against them, God were using them for them. But in this section, as we get to Acts chapter 6, and especially around verse 9, we see that there's this huge, devastating setback. One of their brightest one of their men who was anointed of God is martyred. And I just want to stop here for a wee moment. It's not on my notes, but I just want us to think about that. Do you notice here that these, he was one of the men, the seventh, to go and help at the food bank? See, if it was us and the qualifications, we would be saying, well, he needs to have somebody who's experienced working with people, maybe know a wee bit about social care, maybe needs to know a wee bit about accountancy to make sure that there's enough bread there and enough water there and enough fish there. We would be looking at all of those qualifications to make him one of those men to do that but not the Spirit of God. The the first qualification the Spirit of God had over that man's life was this, that he had to be full of the Spirit of God and of wisdom. 
You see, friends, it's not the qualifications that gods are looking for. It is the heart. It's a person who is full of the God Spirit and full of God's wisdom. But here this guy is taken and he's taken out and he is taken through an horrendous death. And you know, friends, I suppose we've all been brought up living, some of you are old enough to remember some of the war and the, the backing of the war and some of the awful uh, photographs that you have seen of bombings and, and killings. Us younger generation have all been to see Dunkirk and all of those things. But we're living in days now where we're seeing like biblical type persecution on media everywhere. You see, there's something about somebody standing behind a gun and shooting someone in the distance, but there's something about being close up to somebody, something barbaric about taking a stone and watching somebody so close and killing that person and keep hitting that person with the stone until life comes out of their body. And we're starting to see some of these things back in that end of the world where it just seems to be so callous and so terrible. This was impacting and devastating upon this young church. Sure, they must have cried out at that stage, Lord, why? Why is one of our best, one of our brightest, one of our anointed men having to go through this? And Acts 8, verse 2, we read this. And the devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. Here we see a group of people who knew and would have understood that he was absent from the body and present with the Lord. They would have got all of that, but yet there was still this overflowing of emotion. And maybe that might have been church because maybe these guys, when he died after this death, expected a resurrection. Maybe they expected and they prayed and they asked God that he would be risen from the grave because in their minds they were thinking that would be such a victory. It would be an amazing victory for these people that have come against the church if they could just see Stephen rising from the grave again. And maybe with that disappointment, maybe with those broken hearts, and even the fact that this guy walked among us, and we read in Scripture, he wasn't an apostle, he was just a servant of God, and yet he did signs and wonders. And they were thinking, look what this guy has done, and he didn't deserve this. But you know, church, things actually got worse. Look at 8 and 1 and verse 3. And Saul approved of the killing of him. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. But Saul began to destroy the church going from house to house. He was literally going from house to house and putting people out of their homes. And these people, men and women, were being beaten and they were being put in prison all because of their faith. Up to this station within church, these guys were experienced, no matter what happened, they were experienced blessing, they were experienced the church growing, they were seeing things happen. But at this moment, they were seeing a split. At this moment, their apostles, their leadership were staying in Jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. They didn't have the connection to their leadership. They weren't all together in the one place where they enjoyed to be. They didn't have the security as it was of being there and enjoying each other's presence and they were all put away. You could maybe start to think, here's the downward turn. 
They were all probably thinking, how do you accept this? How do we understand what we're going through at this part of our lives? But then, with equal surprise, with equal suddenness, you read in Acts chapter 8 and 4 how the narration changes again. And I'm not going to go into the one that's take Nigel's sermon from next Sunday morning. It'll be good. The way we'll go next week as well. But friends, it reverts to the tone that then was in chapter 6. But why, friends? In the middle of, from chapter 8 to chapter 6, and I know we're talking about chapters, but here we're actually talking actual time. But in the time that we read in chapter 6, to the time of chapter, right in between them, why does it seem there's a downward turn? You can understand these people thinking, I've had enough, I'm away. And yet, in the middle of that downward turn, another church is born. God did it again. Out of harshness, out of brokenness, out of what seemed to be absolutely senseless and mad, God did it again. God came in and God did it again and another church was born. But why did God allow this interlude in the middle of these growth chapters? Why the same in reversal? When Stephen's death and the huge persecution came, sandwiched just between verse chapter 6 and chapter 8, you have all of this negativity. Do you know the actual answer to all of this? It's probably the most vital statement in the New Testament that we can ever grasp. And church, we need to learn that the book of Acts is simply this. It is not just a historical narrative. Chapters that go through, all the chapters of, of, of Acts, friends, are a whole learning thing. Theology for us as church today, it is a revelation of God about how the church came and how the church goes on. And there is so much for us to learn from chapter to chapter in the book of Acts. But friends, all of this was designed, and I want you to get this this morning. All of what was happening between chapter 6 and chapter was simply designed for this. Basically to show you how far God will go to achieve his purposes. How far God will go to achieve his purposes. And maybe in your life today you're battling some stuff, church. Maybe in the private parts of your heart, maybe in your home today, maybe in your circumstances today, you may be bottling some stuff. But I want to assure you of this. God has a plan and a purpose for your life, and God will go the whole way to move everything to get that to happen. If you are a dedicated follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and you believe that he has purpose for your life, the Lord God will get you to where you want to be. Where he wants you to be. And he will move, as it were, everything and anything to allow his purposes to happen. Come with me to Acts 6 and 7. This is before Stephen's death. And we read these words. So the word of God spread um, to um, a number of the disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Why have we got another color there in Jerusalem? It was 10 years previous to that, as we go on to our next slide this morning, it was 10 years previous to that 
when the Lord Jesus, and it was recorded for them in Acts um, 1 and 8, but 10 years previous to that, the Lord gave them their commission. And their commission was this, but you will receive power when the Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's Acts 1 and 8. Now go to Acts 8 and 1. And in Acts 8 and 1, it says, On that day, the great persecution broke out uh, from the church in Jerusalem, and um, all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Can you see something there, church? Ten years later, after God gave them a commission to go into Judea and to Samaria, ten years later, they were still in Jerusalem. They had not fulfilled God's purpose. God's purpose was not for these people to stay in Jerusalem. God's purpose was for his church to go out of Jerusalem, to Samaria, to Judea, and to the ends of the earth. Friends, that's the answer why. That is the answer why the death of Stephen and all of the persecution, all that followed them in that part, all of that happened because God needed them out of Jerusalem. What was being meant for their harm, and it seemed destructive, and it seemed so hard to understand, God was actually using it for their because God wanted them out of Jerusalem. He wanted them to Judea and to Samaria. God goes to great lengths to get his purposes done. And oftentimes, friends, we fight against the purpose. Sometimes we fight against some of the stuff that we go through. And yet, friends, we need to understand that God's hand is in it all. He is sovereign and he is working in it and he will work through it because he wants his purposes done. How we need to remember Isaiah. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. We've said so often, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As heaven is higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts are your, than your thoughts. Church, one swift act of persecution. One death of one man, God forced obedience upon his church. Compelling them to move out of the confinements of Jerusalem to go to Judea and to Samaria. And do you know what the astonishing truth is? That if you stand back from the emotion of the death of Stephen, of someone who was loved, someone that they had a heart for, someone that they cared for, if you stand back, you would probably see, and we can't see now this side of history, this one thing was probably had the greatest impact on the church for the church to do what God called them to do. And that one single event, it brought about what God wanted to happen. And it all happened. That the gospel would not be contained in one city, in one place, but the people who were called to give the good news would get out there and they would be spreading about and spreading the mission. It was severe. It was dramatic. But it was effective. God got his people to move. And from that death, from that persecution, friends, there are three major things that come out of that for the sake of us. And here's the first one. Three quarters now of the target areas that Jesus told his church to go and reach have now been reached. Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. 
They have gone out, and we'll see those who go on in chapter 8 and chapter 9, where they went to. But we see they finally break out of Jerusalem, and they go to the place where the Lord wants to be, and they had to be scattered, even if it had to be out of persecution. God got them to where he wants to. You see, church, God will always get us to where he wants us to be. And sometimes that comes through hardship. Sometimes that comes through stuff that we don't get and we don't understand. But God will always work with us to get us to fulfill his purposes. To get us to where he wants us to be. And yet that was enormously important for the spread of the gospel. The second thing is this. Out of the death of Stephen arises the birth of the best missionary probably ever. The man Saul, for many of you that would know this, and those that are maybe young in their faith, that man Saul who stood there commanding the murder of Stephen becomes Paul and becomes one of the greatest missionaries ever. And you wonder actually what happened to him there on that day and at that point. You see, Paul would have been there with glee, with excitement that there was another Christian dealt with. There was somebody else out of the way because he was passionate about his Judaic faith. And he would have been glad that that was another one of these blasphemers out of the way. And instead of seeing someone dying in agony, that day, here Paul sees this young man focused on heaven, seeing Jesus, dying in a place not of harshness but a place of peace and a place where he actually prays to the father to forgive them for they know not what they do church can we take a pause here many of us have faced times of heartache and harshness Many of us have faced time where we feel we have been picked upon and persecuted and people are against us. We've all had, I think, the new term you hear the kids talking about and celebrities is the haters. We've all had our haters. We've all had somebody throwing the first stone and it seems to be there's always somebody out there wanting to bring us down. And we live in a world today where we will not always have those people who are for us. But I think there's a lesson here with Saul becoming Paul, and it's this, church. It's how we react to those that are against us can cause them either to go on hating or become lovers. And here in the midst of this, when this young fellow who was full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, saw great things, and there was definitely an anointing upon his life to call to ministry, to do great things for God, and here he is, and the very life was being drained out of him. Where's his focus? Friends, his focus is not upon his personal pain. His focus is not upon the hater. His focus is on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's looking at the Father. And he's looking at the Son at the right hand. And he's looking to see the face of the Lord. And I suppose in that time when he saw the face of the Lord, he could hear the words of Jesus again. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You see, he could have accused them. He could have hated them back, but he didn't. He looked for the grace of the Father. And whatever you're working through today, whatever you're walking through today, whatever you're going through, whatever pressure is on your life, church, can I encourage you from one heart to another heart, keep your eyes on the Father. And the difficult circumstance and the hard circumstance when people are coming against you, keep your eyes on the Father. 
See what the Father's saying. See what the Father is doing. And react out of the Father's love. Not out of your frustration. Not out of your hurt. Not out of pain. Not out of anger. Not out of frustration. Act out in the Father's love. Through this guy, acting out of love, we see the best missionary being born into the kingdom. What an amazing thing God was doing throughout the death of one of his own. Third thing, the result of the death of Stephen comes, we see in Acts chapter 11, verse 19 to 20. Because now we see not only is, and it is a wee bit further on, but not only do we see that the church has gone from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, but now we're starting to see it going to the ends of the earth. Because not only are God's people now taking the message to the Jewish nations, but they're starting now to go to Antioch, to Cyprus, and they're going to the Gentiles, and they're going to the people who one time they would have never given the, the, the light of day. And now they're going with this message of liberty and peace and grace and love. And we're starting to see the grace of God been touch, touching the lives of the Gentiles. Three results. Out of the death and the persecution of one of God's servants. You see, friends, what seemed negative, God was turning into a positive because God had divine mandate. God had a divine mandate. There is, there lies within this message, friends, uh, hidden things and events and all of those things, but within it, they are both awesome and they are fearful. But the message is in such a way that God got the job done and the lost was found. Maybe you're sitting with us today in church. Maybe you've heard that being mentioned about the lost. Who are the lost? You might be thinking, I'm not lost. I've got it together. I've got a job. I've got a home. I've got a wife. I've got a family. I've got a good career. I know what I'm doing in my life. I'm not lost. Heard people say before about the lost. And what does that mean? Friends, it just means simply this. If you are not in a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ, if you're not following Jesus, if you're not a disciple of his, if you don't love him, and if you don't care for him, and you don't meet him every day, and you're not in that relationship with him, you are lost. You are lost to God. And that started way back in the garden when Adam and Eve used to walk with God the Father every single day and they would talk with God and then sin came in this world and then they started to live their lives independent from him. And that's what it means to be lost. Your life may look great. You might have a good bank balance. You might have a lovely car. You might have a lovely home and 2.4 children and all of those things. And everything may seem perfect in your life. But if you don't and you're living independent of Jesus, while you do all those things which are great as they are, you're lost. You are lost to God. And everything that happened when Jesus went to the cross and everything that happened from then, do you know why all that happened? Because he came to find you. 
He came to bring you home. He came to bring you into relationship with himself. Jesus died on the cross to save the lost. And over the last couple of weeks, we've seen even how he has used other people to reach other people who were lost, but sent them to find, but they lost in the way, but yet God did great things. Last week, we not only have we heard about Stephen, but last week we were told the story of Fred Orr, that man who went to the Amazon, couldn't speak a word of the language and nearly didn't get going because his wife could do it and he couldn't do it, but got going to the mission field. And then when he got there, his wife dies with a fever. And most people would think, what was the point of all of that? God had a method in his madness. That girl was buried in their land and their tradition said that if she was in the land, she was a part of their tribe and they couldn't get rid of the missionary. And God used that man's life to win many to the kingdom of God. We talked about Jim Elliott, that, that missionary um, who went to um, Ecuador and even there we see he lost his life but yet two years later his wife and his daughter were there leading people into the kingdom of God. This week in my studies, as I was trying to get ready, I read a story about John Patton, a, a Scottish minister or a Scottish young fellow who um, used to live in a three-room cottage with his mum and dad. The first wee room in the cottage was everything. It was the bathroom, it was the bedroom, it was the living room, it was everything. There was a wee small room in the middle where his daddy would go every day to seek the face of God and to pray and they could hear their father's prayers through the walls. And the third room was basically a room where he made stockings to sell to have a life. But as he grew up listening to his dad's prayer, when he grew up being taught the word of God, he knew that he had to go and preach the gospel. And at a rally in Scotland, when he heard the call to go to the Outer Hebrides, this guy went and traveled for three months to get there. But on that mission field, he buried his wife, who was given birth to their son. And 17 days later, he buried his son. And today we would think to ourselves, why? Why? But yet in their sacrifice to carry the gospel, and their sacrifice to go even to the point of losing family, even to the point of death, other people come into the kingdom of God. This week we heard the sad news of the passing of Dr. Billy Graham. And I know some of you have put this up, and if you haven't heard, I'm going to read it to you. And I thought this was great. And he preached this years ago. He said this, Someday you will read or you will hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. And church this morning... Stephen was martyred, and you can look, why would anybody put that young man through what he went through? Why would anybody put some of these missionaries that we've talked about with good hearts through all that they have gone through? Friends, they did not lose out. Because that day when Stephen was being pelted by those stones, he saw the face of the Father. And he stepped out from one seat of time into another scene of time. And let me tell you, friends, from what we know, when you go into that scene of time, you would never want to be back in this one. But God used each of those lives 
those that we see in Scripture and those of modern-day people who have served for the kingdom of God, and how God used them for the extension of the kingdom of God. Church, Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. My question to us this morning is this. How far will we go? How far, church, are we prepared to go? Will we fight with everything within us to be the church that God has called us to be and to get out of our Jerusalem and to go to Judea and to the ends of the earth? Remember, church, we talked about this a few weeks ago. If we want to remain in the favor of God, if we want to know the favor of God, if we want an anointing of God upon our lives, friends, that will not be where we are as a church. It will not be our worship, and our worship is great. It will not be because of our community activities. It will be because we're obeying the Great Commission. If we want to have the favor of God, it is because we are obedient to the Great Commission. Friends, the last command of Jesus, and there's a slide there, should always be our first commission. The last command of the Lord Jesus Christ should always be our commission. Friends, you know, God believes so much in hell that he sent the Son to get us out of him. He sent the Son to save us from it. He came to seek and save the lost. Friends, he believes in us enough to send others who have given their lives that the gospel could keep going because he loves us enough. He believes in us enough to want us to dedicate our hearts to the gospel of Jesus Christ that we're getting out there and we're telling people the good news of the Lord Jesus. Friends, if we will not go, if we will prefer to stay in our Jerusalem, in our comfort zone, there are only two alternatives. First is this. He will shake us up again. He will shake us up and he will drive us out. Or, and church not on my watch, he will substitute us. And he will use somebody else to do what he called us to do. I do not want that for East Point. I want us to be a church that will have the favor of God because we have listened to the simplicity of God's word and we go to Jerusalem, to, to our Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It was lovely yesterday morning in the prayer meeting. 25 of us gathered and it was lovely yesterday morning to hear people pray about how we can get out there and share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Margaret Mark go on Saturday as Kim has gone, and they are our to the ends of earth people, aren't they? And we hope and pray in the lifetime of East Point, we will have others that will go to the ends of the earth. But church, do you know we need to be asking God at the moment? We need to be saying to the Father, Father, where's our Samaria? Where's our Judea? Where do you want us to go next, Lord? But now, we need to be saying, Lord, in our Jerusalem, who can we reach? Can we talk to our neighbors, life groups who've been encouraging you to think about an outreach activity? Friends, can we try and think about something and somehow and somewhere? We've got Mother's Day coming up. We've got Easter coming up. Friends, can we consider how we're going to draw, go out and also draw people in? 
Because if we want the favor of God over our church, we need to do the first command. And may that be our first commission. Church, will we be excited? Are we going to do it? Will we think about it? Will we pray about it? Will we seek God's face? But as Jordan's wee line was, let's not let the fish go by. Let's not think about it and think about it too much and all the fish are going by. Let's get out there. Let's make something happen that we can bring people in for the kingdom of God. Church, sometimes we do have to walk through hard things. Sometimes we will walk through things that will seem to have beaten the life out of us. There will be times where we will be challenged in our walk with God and we will want to maybe think to ourselves, like two boys on a mess, I've had enough, I'm walking away. But we need to always come back to that place to bow the knee to Jesus and ask Jesus, how do we do it and why do we do it? Let that commission be our first mission, be our first commission. And let's seek to see people see. Amen, church? Bless all worship team coming here.